Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Mmm, complicated. <laughs> okay. Ordinarily, I'd bring siblings together to talk about their life and their connections as adults. But in this episode, the poet Benjamin Zephaniah, who has many <laughs> brothers and sisters... And he said, no, he's not my real brother, he's just a brother... <laughs> comes on alone to talk about relationships between siblings, which aren't always easy. I remember going, uh-uh, I'm not staying here with him. And I just ran out after her. I mean, all the other kids kind of ran up in the bedroom and I just ran after her. And she went, go back. And I went, I'm not going back. I'm coming with you, mummy. <laughs> and that was it. So I kind of think, would I pick any of them as my friends? I would kind of know them. I may know them like I know some people, but I'm not sure if I would be close friends with them. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Benjamin's a twin, although he's 15 minutes older than his twin sister, and there were seven other brothers and sisters at home. In this episode, he talks about domestic violence, which he witnessed as a boy. He eventually fled the house with his mum, leaving the other brothers and sisters behind. It left a mark, of course, on their relationships, and we talk about that, as well as talking about chosen families, the family created by community, and he talks about being cock of the school back in the day in Birmingham. We also talk about Black Lives Matter and toxic masculinity. But Benjamin started by explaining that although he thought he was one of eight, he was in fact one of nine. We didn't know until we were kind of teenagers But my mum actually had another girl in Jamaica. That's why I said it's a bit complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I thought I was the oldest. And there was me bragging in that macho style. Yeah, I'm I'm the man of the family. So I found out that I had an older sister. Did it feel like a little shuffle downwards, a sort of reordering when you found out? I I, I didn't think about it too much. And I've met my other sister. She lives in the States a couple of times. You know, she's nicely got on very well, you know, there's no tension or anything. I know sometimes people in the West, in inverted commas, find this either hard to understand or find it a bit of a cliche. But in the Caribbean, people can look after you who are not your parents. <laughs> there's a saying which something like, takes a couple to have a baby, takes a village to raise a baby, something like that. Yeah. Um, but it does, you know. How do you marry those ideas of, you know, it takes a couple to have a baby, but a village to raise a child, as opposed to the maybe more rigid little boxes idea that we might have in what you called inverted commas, the West? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was born in England, but 
in a Caribbean community in Birmingham. And so they tried to, as much as possible, replicate the kind of way we were raised in, in Jamaica or the way that they were raised in Jamaica. It wasn't always possible. And some of it, you know, it's not all happy families. Some of it is really negative. Hmm. I hate this idea that everything that comes from the village is low, wonderful and all things in black history is great. It's just not true. Some things are not so nice. i tell you what it made me do, ironically. It made me think that there are many other ways of having a family. I mean, now with trans and gays and same-sex couples and stuff like that, this is the kind of term that's on trend, but I always thought that. <laughs> I always thought that there's many ways you can configure a family. And that was important for me because, you know, I have like six other people that I call my brothers and sisters that my blood brothers and sisters don't call their brothers and sisters because my mom helped raise those kids when she'd left the family because of domestic violence. I don't like that word domestic, but and I but I consider those my brothers and sisters and there's an important part of my life, puberty and you know, first girlfriends and all that stuff, where this family saw it and went through with me, if you like. But my real family didn't. And it's really interesting because on this podcast, this is season four now, but throughout all three seasons um, something comes up again and again, which is this idea of brothers and sisters holding your secrets or keeping your history. And I suppose what I've learned is that, A, obviously families can all look different and therefore different parts of your family and different members can hold different bits of your history and different parts of your secrets. So with you, you had your birth brothers and sisters who perhaps didn't know some of that history and some of those secrets of that kind of adolescent Benjamin. Uh, uh, that's right. Um Probably the most important part of my growing up, my other brothers and sisters didn't see it. So, well, so for people who, sorry, I was just going to say, before we get too far into it, because it is, mm. families are complicated. That's the other big thing I've learned on this podcast is that there's no such thing as a cookie cutter family. Forget it. But mm. before we get too far into the conversation, perhaps for people who don't know the shape of your family, could you explain the story that led to your mum leaving? You alluded to domestic violence, but. Maybe you could tell the story just briefly, please. There was a time, basically, when my father started to get violent to my mother. I first noticed it when I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and that was highly unusual for me. And then I heard something downstairs. I went downstairs. I saw my mother crying, and I didn't know mums and dads could cry. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> thinking, oh, adults cry, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I saw my mum crying and, and I said to my mum, Mummy, why are you crying? And I genuinely thought somebody had taken a sweet from her or something like that. You know, it's like oh. it sounds crazy, but I like It doesn't sound crazy. It sounds like a child reasoning with a child's mind, really. Yeah, yeah. And then and then she pointed to a frying pan that was on the floor and said, Your daddy hit me with that frying pan. And I just went, Daddy, why did you do that? And he was, shut your mouth and go to bed. And I just remember thinking, gosh, daddy's hit mummies. <laughs> you know, it sounds crazy. But then I remember a couple of days later being at school and saying to a kid, what do you do 
when your daddy hits your mummy? And this boy said, my daddy doesn't hit my mummy. And I said something like, oh, you live in one of those houses where you have like, like one of those strong women. I, I didn't say feminist, but that's the kind of thing I meant. I, you have one of those strong women, so your mummy hits your daddy. <laughs> so, so he went, no, my mummy doesn't hit my daddy. You know? Nobody's hitting anyone. <laughs> Nobody's hitting anyone. Yeah? <laughs> you don't have to live in a house where, where your parents fight. And I just, oh, there's houses like that. And it, the violence basically carried on and carried on. Now, what used to happen was my father used to start on my mother for sometimes really crazy things. I, I remember once he said to her, iron my shirt, and she was ironing, ironing his shirt. Mm. And then he said, make me some tea. And then she said, well, I'm ironing your shirt. I'll do it when I've finished. I'll make the tea. Mm. And he went, I want my tea now. And she was like, what do you want? And he just attacked her. And in those times, I would fight him. But my other brothers and sisters would run away. So they would run in one way and I'd be running the other. And I, and I mean, it was futile. I'd jump on his back and try to hit him and stuff like that. And um, one day she ran out of the um, house. And I remember going, uh-uh, I'm not staying here with him. And I just ran out after her. I mean, all the other kids kind of ran up in the bedroom and I just ran after her. And she went, go back. And I went, I'm not going back. I'm coming with you, mummy. <laughs> and that was it. So that's why me and my mother are really close. There's things that I know about her and seeing her go through, which my brothers and sisters haven't seen. My mother said something to me the other day and she started the conversation by saying, have you ever hit me, son? I said, what are you talking about, Mum? Have I ever hit you? And she says, don't you remember what your father said? And I said, like, no. She said, one day, he was having a go at her, her, and I was trying to defend her, and he took me and threw me against the wall. I hit the wall and slid down, and he pointed to me and said, one day, that boy's going to grow up, and he's going to beat you too. And then she just laughed and said, we proved him wrong, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, Mike, and when she said it to me, I went, my gosh, yes, I remember that. But at the time, I didn't understand it. What a weird idea of inheritance. I mean, (sighs) this is a bit of a mantra of mine, because I like, you know, I always like to be as honest as possible. And what you have to understand is that This may sound like a harsh thing to say, but it's true. When I was growing up, a lot of the men around me were like that. One of the reasons why my father would beat my mother is because he would be out and about and he would say, you know, your wife, I saw her today walking on the road, uh, talking to a guy or on her own, or she was dressed improperly or some stupid stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And he would feel that he, as the man, he would have to go back now and kind of uh, do something about this kind of thing. And so it's a bit of a thing of mine. I say all the time, and it's absolutely true, that I was raised sexist, you know. And all these men around me telling me that you don't have a girlfriend, you control a woman. Yeah. I remember once having a conversation with my father 
he was concerned because I was going through a phase where I was getting my sister's dolls and doing their hair. I just went through a little stage where I thought I'm going to be a hairdresser. And he took, he took me into a room and said, look, none of that. Stop that business now. And I was like, it's, it's just hair, Dad. I'm just combing the hair. Yeah. It's fine. Use a boy. You will grow to be a man. None of those things. Otherwise, you will get confused. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I didn't realise at the time. I, and now I realise he was worried that I was going to be gay or something. You know? Yeah, like Barbie could turn <laughs> you gay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do, you know, we laugh about it, but you do sort of think back to the 70s and 80s and the sort of idea of masculinity and all these scared men afraid to be vulnerable and af- yes. and full of shame and yeah. afraid to be honest and afraid of their feelings and how that kind of came out was just toxic. But I'm thinking about you and your role as, because this is a podcast about siblings, about the mm. oldest son. You said your mum called you the oldest son. We know why yes. she said son one reason but there is also the idea and there was more in the 70s and 80s of this kind of you're sort of the man of the house as the eldest boy and if something goes wrong then people look to you to kind of take on the mantle so I wondered whether when you were trying to defend your mum whether you felt that like I'm the biggest boy here this is my job did you feel that or am I reading too much into it I just felt that my dad was so much bigger and stronger than my mum and I had to defend my mum. I didn't think about it any deeper than that. I remember we used to get lots of beatings. You know, if you did something wrong, you know, we would get flashed with a belt and stuff like that. In the house, this idea of me being the oldest boy didn't really come into play. I don't. I can't remember any moment when I felt like that. But in school, I did. I went to this school called Deacon Avenue. And I don't know if this is a Birmingham thing or what, right? But I was what they call cock of the school. That means I'm the best fighter. <laughs> I am the best fighter. So if any of my brothers and sisters, and remember there's a lot of them, right, had an issue, they just go, I'm going to get my brother. <laughs> and most kids go, all right, yeah, we're not going to mess with him. He's the cock of the school. And um, <laughs> That's probably the only time when I felt being the oldest boy was a thing, you know. <laughs> and I remember one day somebody tested my masculinity. There was a guy came in school. His name was, I thought it was a really odd name, Leslie Felital. That is quite an unusual name. Yeah, though. yeah. <laughs> and and the word went round that he could take me on, he could beat me. And I met him in the playground because I didn't want to seem weak in front of my brothers and sisters. And I went, come on, Felital, let's have a fight now. And he wouldn't fight me and I pushed him. And I pushed him to, to get him to react. And he just wouldn't fight me. He said, we have no argument. And I remember walking away, coming, coming away from this and going, I think he could beat me. <laughs> <laughs> thank God. Thank, thank God, yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but he was so nice. <laughs> he wouldn't fight me. And apparently... <laughs> Apparently, he grew up to be a church pastor. Oh, well, there you go. A very religious person who I think somebody told me is no longer with us. But, but yeah, that's the only time when I felt I'm the cock of the family. I'm the, you know, I am the head of the family. And I've when you were trying to deck a siblings. vicar called Leslie. <laughs> 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 
This season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, the online home of the 1921 census. By 1921, people from all over the world had begun arriving in Britain to start new lives. People like the remarkable Dr. Harold Moody. Jamaican-born Dr. Moody graduated top of his class studying medicine at King's College London and set up a practice working from home after struggling to find a job. Perhaps there's an inspiring story in your past. Find out in the 1921 census, exclusively available online at findmypast.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So take us back... Um Maybe you're still cock of the school at this time, I don't know, but to that moment when your mum has had enough and she's legging it, basically, and you're going with her. Did you think about, well, you probably didn't because it was a moment of high drama, but what happened after that? And did you think about what that meant for the rest of the family and and what it would look like after that point? Or were you just doing the same thing, keeping your mum company and keeping an eye? Yeah, I was just just caring about my mum and just... um... First of all, we were trying to find somewhere to stay. This may sound strange considering what the women's movement is like now, but I can remember two things that stood out when she went to try when she tried to go into a women's refuge. And one of them they said that a lady said, In this refuge there are all white women and we think <laughs> they they might not get on with you if you came in. Poor mum. Yeah, and then I remember we went to one where they said, um, this is a women's refuge, but we, we can't take children, especially boy children. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so fortunately, we never actually slept on the street, but I remember us getting very close to it. Hmm. He literally knocked on doors sometimes and said, can you put us up for the night? And I've never met anybody who has been to as many schools as me. How many? I, I, tr- I attempted to count once, and I think I counted 15. Whoa. Let me explain something. My father worked for the GPO, which was the general post office, and they were in charge of telephones, telegrams, posts, obviously, and lots of other things. So every time my mother tried to do something official, like claim some benefit, my father would find it and go and find her. Oh, my God. So That's terrifying. I went to one school in London for one day and my dad found us. And my mum literally, oh my when I came home from school, my mum was packed. we got to go. And we were on the run again. The first time I was ever arrested, it was for stabbing my father. 
my father found my mother one day. We were at a market in the high street. Mm-hmm. Started to jump on her and beat her. And I had a little pen knife where little boys used to have. You, you, you could yeah. buy them for sixpence. They were not really dangerous at all. And I jumped on top of my dad and I was trying to stab him with this pen knife and it kept folding back and cutting me. I mean, it was oh. useless. It was just useless. But the police came along and said I was under arrest, but they let my father go because it was a domestic. That's why I hate the word, a domestic. Yeah. I wasn't charged or anything like that. So lots of schools. So what? The, one of the flaws of my podcast, you know, I'm proud of this podcast, but one of the flaws of it, it's about brothers and sisters, but generally it's about brothers and sisters who simply get on. They'll have had their ups and downs, but they get on. And their relationship has not been challenged in quite the way that yours has. Often they've been challenged. They might have been separated, all sorts of things. But this feels more fundamental than most. And I wonder what that decision to run out of the house after your mum did with your relationship with your birth brothers and sisters and and what it's like now going from protecting them in the playground to what? Right. That's that's quite easy to answer. (sighs) My brothers and sisters think that when I talk about the way that my mum was treated by my dad. They think I'm exaggerating. And I heard them say this a few times. Recently, I went to my mother and said, Mum, please, I don't want to be talking about things that are not true. Am I making it sound worse than it was? <laughs> she looked at me and she said, Son, what you saw was just a little bit, just the tip of the iceberg. It was much worse. And I was like, my God, because I saw some bad stuff. What we have now, the situation where my brothers and sisters think mum wasn't a good mum because she abandoned us. And dad was a hero because he raised seven kids on his own. Hmm. That's a great man. And I think the opposite. I think mum is a hero because she had the guts to get out of a violent marriage. Hmm. And dad was horrible because he he beat women. Hmm. And there's always a kind of tension underneath. I mean, I don't have any pictures of my father. I think I have one or two tucked away somewhere. I went to my sister's house the other day, and they're all over the place. And I was like, oh, God. I I wouldn't say that he's a monster. I mean, I saw him as a monster back a long time ago. but, But I went and saw him, and I said, I want to make peace with him. And I kind of did in a way. Every now and again, he would bring up mom in a very negative way, and I'd just say, shut up. I don't want to hear you talk about that stuff. I don't hate him now because I think he probably got that from another man in his life somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and how do you feel about the effect that it had on your relationship with your siblings? Because in a way, your dad ruined that for you too. It wasn't your choice. I look at my siblings and I just think, if I had a choice, would I pick them as friends? We're all so different. My twin sister, who... I should be closer with. Most twins have a bit of closeness. She's just another sister. But she is a really hard-line Jehovah Witness. Oh, I see. Which is weird because I'm passionate about politics and I'm also passionate about theology. If Mm. I had the chance to have an education, to go to university, I would do theology. You would have been in a class with Leslie, let's face it. (laughs) 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 that's probably true the strange thing is me and my twin sister we can't talk about those things because she has a very 
particular take on religion. They are right mm. and everybody else is wrong. Where I have more questions. And then I have a sister, Joyce, who studied law. When she went to university, the local newspaper said, local black girl goes to university. I mean, it was so odd. It was such a strange thing. Mark and Paul, the two twins, are completely different from each other. One's like very Jamaican, Rastafarian. He's very light-skinned. Paul is very dark-skinned. He's into the Smiths and the Labour Party. (laughs) 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 I I don't know why that's so funny, but it's funny. They're so different. Every one of us is so different. So I kind of think, would I pick any of them as my friends? I kind of know them. I may know them like I know some people. I'm not sure if I would be close friends with them. But the thing that really, um, I think, pulled us together as a family was the death of our cousin, Mikey Powell. He died, died at in Pasta- Yeah. 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 Now, when George Floyd died, everybody was talking about the way he died. He had a police officer's foot in his neck. His last words were, I can't breathe. And he cried for his mother. Well, that's exactly what, how Mikey died. We know that his last words were, I can't breathe. And he was crying and he was calling for his mother. And he had a foot in his neck. I'm so sorry. That kind of brought us together. And it was interesting because up until then, I was always seen as a political militant one. You know, and I get members of my family saying, you know, why don't you write those poems about flowers and things? <laughs> You know, just give it a rest on the racism stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then suddenly, they understood me. Okay. And I and I've been in that situation too. Quite frankly, I've been in a police station with a police officer's foot in my neck, thinking I'm not going to get out of here. And that brought us together because we had to organise. We had to organise family meetings and stuff like that. But actually, we had to organise a city. There was big rallies we had in Birmingham, and I think since then we've been a lot more together. And then just recently, um, something I haven't really talked about much in the public space, but mother's really ill. And she's, you know, twice since December, we've had that call in the middle of the night telling us that she's not going to make it till the morning. And she's made it both times. But um, that has also kind of brought us together now and uh, to look after mum. And I'm like sorry looking, about your mum. No, it's just like, you know, it's like looking after a baby. Bob, there's a Bob Marley song, Once a Man and Twice a Child. And I think I've come to realise that through my experiences, I've learnt so much and my interest. They've taken me down a particular path. And I can't expect them to, to, to be like me, to follow me. I mean, yeah. put it like this, like... I challenge some of my brothers and sisters sometimes. I say, what have you read of mine? (laughs) What poetry of mine do you know? And they go, oh, I love my mother and my mother loves me. Or be nice to your turkey this Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) They know a couple of the kids' poems. And? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, They don't quite know what I stand for. 
sometimes they'll see me doing an interview and they'll go, what were those words you were using? What was, it, what was that about, you know? I've just learnt now that they are what they are and I am what I am and we can't, I can't force anything on them and they don't force anything on me. Yeah, and it's a middle-aged facing mortality thing, whether it's your parents' mortality or your own. I think there's a kind of, or there should be if things happen <laughs> the way that we'd all want them to, there's a sort of mellowing and an accommodation and a grace and a compassion that can come with middle age, even with people in your family that you don't see eye to eye with, you get to a certain point in your life and you think maybe peace and <laughs> gentleness yeah. is sort of better. I, I wanted to ask a question. I, I, When you were talking, I wasn't listening to you, but I was also thinking about how to ask this question in a way that doesn't make me sound trite. So I'm going to use these words and if they're the wrong words, try and hear the meaning behind it, if that's okay. I was wondering about the organising that you did after the, death of your cousin Mikey that I've read about and it um I wondered whether there was something about that community organizing that was a little bit like brothers and sisters in a wider sense so you had the whole community it wasn't just you that marched I'm guessing other people marched with you and whether there's that sort of thing about community brothers and sisters and then chosen brothers and sisters so there's all different ways of thinking about being brothers and sisters to each other and I wonder whether that event with Mikey, that was something about community and family melding. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm laughing because... See, um, it was rubbish. <laughs> no, 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 no. <coughs> Many years ago, a journalist wanted to try and find some dirt about me. She turned up at a man's house. The way he tells the story to me is he was having his dinner, he's a builder, and he opens the door, there's a knock on the door, he opens the door, and there's this like really beautiful woman on my doorstep. And he goes, hello. <laughs> and she goes, I understand that you're Benjamin Zephaniah's brother. And he goes, well, I know Benjamin Zephaniah, but I'm not his brother. I haven't seen him for 40 years or something. <laughs> and she goes, but you are his brother. You're trying to, you're, are you lying to me? And then she took her phone out and played a little film of this guy in the community centre 30 or 40 <laughs> years ago or something, going, and next week, we, on this stage, we're going to have Oswald, we're going to have this band, and we're going to have my brother, Benjamin Zephaniah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, he's not my real brother, he's just a brother. <laughs> you know, and one of the many things that people have to understand about the black community with all the things we have and all the problems we have, most of us call each other as brothers and sisters and we greet each other by saying peace. We will ask how the family is. And back home in our countries, our, you know, our countries of origin, our names would start with our family name. So the family is the most important thing, not the individual. The individual name comes second, whereas in Western mm -hmm. culture, your individual name comes first. Mm. and your second name, and I don't even like the word surname, because that's about ownership of a man, from a man. Yeah. The problem is, when it, when it comes to people that want to be different, let's, we could talk about being gay in the black community, for example. Mm. You know, I went to a concert, I, well, I went to a concert, I had to go, my own concert. <laughs> <laughs> just on a whim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just, on a whim, went to one of my own concerts. <laughs> 
And uh, when I got there, the organiser said that there was one of my relatives here who wanted to see me. And when I was signing autographs afterwards, he came up to me. I didn't recognise him, but then he started telling stories of when we were small. And then I went, oh, yeah, it was you. And then he introduced me to his partner. Uh, obviously, he was gay. And, mm. um, and then I said to my mother afterwards, I said, Mum, do you remember this boy that I used to play with? And he's related to this uncle. And she said, yeah. And then she kind of whispered and went, some people think he's gear. <laughs> and I said, he's... he's He's the gayest, most campus man. <laughs> He's obviously gay. No, we don't have that in our family. No, not in our family. <laughs> I said, He's obviously gay, you know. Um, and that, fortunately, our family are not violent in that kind of sense. But I know people who have really suffered from violence in their family because mm. not just being gay, just being different in other ways. Yeah. And some people say, Well, it's our tradition. I go, It doesn't mean it's good. We can no. stop it. Tradition started at some point, so it can stop at some point. You know, You're there's a lot right. of things that we have to unlearn. But there are a lot of good things. So I always say when we look at the past or look at history, we can take positive things and we can throw away the negative things. We're not yeah. being dishonourable to the to our tradition or to our culture or to our ethnicity. Actually, we're being progressive. Thank you to Benjamin Zephaniah and thank you too for listening. Sorry, did you hear my stomach there? I did. <laughs> a body does have... what a body does. I'm cool with that. It's fine. I should have went to the gym first. Um... <laughs> and a huge thank you to our sponsors, Find My Past, who are offering you the chance to start your family tree for free. Head to findmypast.co.uk to find out more. That's findmypast.co.uk. UK. Enormous thanks as well to Tanita Tickerham for letting us use this amazing song. Additional research this season by Rachel Oakes and sound design, as always, by Nick Carter at mixonics.com. I'll be back next week with more sibling stories to share. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Stand by the fireside, another rain may fall Your father's calling you, you still feel safe inside Although your ma's too proud, your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside oh, Was it solo, was it yesterday, was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, it's didn't you That's my little sister, just five minutes old, already seeking something to bite and chew and hold. That's my little sister, already going bald. I can't just call her sister, so what would she be called? I want to call her Carol, but all Carols are hymns. I want to call her Jimmy, but I always visit Jim's. I want to call her Spotty, 
but she may punch my nose. I will not call her Rosie because she don't look like a rose. When I hear her crying, I want to call her loud. If she's the type for talking, I may call her a crowd. If she's good at singing, I'll call her Nightingale. But if she keeps on grinning, she'll make the doctors wail. The doctors called her Beauty. But Beauty is a horse. The nurses called her Cutie, being polite, of course. My mummy and my daddy just don't have an idea. We don't have a name ready, but we're... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Really glad she's here. <laughs> Off the cuff, that was brilliant.